You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 319. Today is February 2nd, 2022, and also Wednesday, which is to say that it is the last day of this hitch of days off for me. I go back to work tomorrow morning, which means I will probably, given that it's my first day back, I will probably not record a podcast episode that'll give everybody a chance to catch up. It'll also give me a chance to get my head cleared before I jump back into work. But it's not tomorrow yet. It's today. I am off today. And I think it would be fun to talk about the movie Encanto, which my family just watched all together last night while we ate lasagna from the lovely Susan Garcia. She dropped off lasagna for all of us, with the exception of my wife. She made a special meal just for my wife, which was very kind of her. God bless Roy and Susan Garcia. It was delicious lasagna. Very well received by all. Thank you very much, Susan Garcia. But before we get into Encanto, I'd like to talk a bit more about yesterday's episode Go back and check it out if you haven't caught it yet. But I think I'm on to something. I was listening back through the episode. And keep in mind, too, I said yesterday that I was hoping to get a chapter, my first chapter of the new book written. I did, in fact, do that. And I'm feeling good about having written that first chapter of This Is Why We Got Married it is a bit of a important topic to me. I do like to talk about everything, but marriage is a very important topic to me. I come from a broken home. My parents got divorced when I was in junior high. My wife and I, when we were dating in high school and talking about marriage early on in college, we knew one very important thing. We didn't want to have a failed marriage. We didn't want to have a marriage that ended in divorce. And we also didn't want to have a marriage that was unhappily ever after. And that's a very important uh, part. Having that commitment is a very, very important part. You've got to have that will, that want, that commitment. But there's a lot of practical details besides just that want to, which you have to work out from there. Okay, we don't want to have a failed marriage. Check. Step one. Now, step two, how do we make our marriage successful? And the premise of my book is that we need to build on the foundation of what God's Word says about where we come from, why we're here, who are we, where are we going, what, we sh- what should we be about? What should we be doing? What's the point of marriage? What's the point of this thing? I'm going to 
unpack that. I think it'll be beneficial to my marriage as well. Some people read marriage books to figure out how to have a better marriage. I am in part writing a marriage book as a way of being more intentional in my own marriage. My wife and I just this past November celebrated 15 years of marriage. We got away for the first time. It was a very belated honeymoon. But Luke and Kate Bergman and their lovely children came and hung out with our seven kiddos at the time. Lauren was still pregnant with little Andrew, who was just born last week, a week ago this morning, actually. We are, let's see, what time is it? It's uh, 7.06 a.m. right now. I just looked at my phone. Andrew was born last Wednesday at 6.45 or thereabouts. So he is literally one week old as of about 20 minutes ago. But my wife and I got away to a cabin in the mountains near Pikes Peak here in Colorado for two nights, three days, saw the sights, toured around, and just generally enjoyed one another's company. But it's a surreal thing when you have as many children as we do and you get away, especially if you haven't really done that ever. It's a surreal thing to get away for a few days and just be the two of you, just be you together again. Talk about where you've been. Talk about where we are. Talk about where this is going. Where is our family going? What do we want for the future? What do we hope happens? What are we building towards in the coming months and years and decades by God's grace? But in yesterday's episode, which I heard a little bit different. I only reviewed it after I had written this first chapter of, and this is why we got married. I'm trying to talk through this whole business with Joe Rogan and Spotify and canceling dissent. And Joe Rogan's just the latest example. He's a big fish that a lot of people have sharpened their knives for, hoping to take him out. And It's interesting listening to his comments on this, his feedback, his response to this upset, this campaign. He is a UFC uh, Ultimate Fighter Championship commentator, a participant back in the day, tough guy, strong guy, comedian, obviously podcast host, very successful He does really good long-form interviews, I think, that are just very conversational, very relaxed, very casual, very open-ended. Hey, let's just talk about what we really think. And if there's one thing that is terrifying to the cancel culture crowd, it is people just sitting down and having an honest, calm conversation about what they really think. What do you really think? Let's kick it around. Let's talk back and forth. Let's ask questions and let's give responses, and let's challenge each other here. The cancel culture crowd is antithetical to that. And so it was just a matter of time, right? It was just a matter of time before they came for Joe Rogan. But as I'm looking at it, as I'm thinking about it, 
I'm thinking to myself, you know, this really has a lot to do potentially with the subject of my book. It has a lot to do with the subject of, and this is why we homeschool, and also, and this is why we got married. Kids who grow up in homes where mom and dad go their separate ways over disagreements rather than kissing and making up, working it out, treating one another with respect when there's a disagreement. Kids who grow up in homes where dad either was never there or else left early on or else he was abusive to their mother or else their mother was abusive to him or else both of them were by turns abusive and manipulative towards one another. Kids who grow up in those kinds of homes have some really terrible role models. They have some really terrible role models. And in the absence of divine intervention and the gospel and God's word, what are they supposed to make of disagreements when they grow up? How are they supposed to navigate those when they didn't have someone giving them a good example to follow? How are they supposed to function when they're challenged or when they need to challenge somebody else? They don't know how except in the all or nothing. I either completely agree with you or you completely agree with me or else we're going to have to duke it out and go our separate ways. That's all they know. But that is to say, too, there's hope, I think. I think there's hope if we can fall in love again with marriage on God's terms and not overly spiritualize it to where this is all just metaphysical. No, no, if we can get practical about it, if we can get honest about it, if we can sell it as a good thing that God intended for our enjoyment and to bless us and to glorify himself, if we can sell it like that and show how this can actually work if we understand the thing rightly and use it rightly and approach it properly, then maybe, just maybe, we can have this trend go the other way. Maybe just maybe the cancel culture can give way to a reconciliation culture. Cancel culture is the opposite of grace and mercy and forgiveness and patience and kindness and respect and gentleness. So we need to get reacquainted with the gospel. If we ever were, and if we never were, I'd like to talk with you about my personal Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. (laughs) And I don't laugh except that that's a very common trope. You get people showing up on doorsteps very awkwardly. I'm not going to do that to you, but I will record podcast after podcast and write some books. And I would encourage you to listen up, give it a hearing and uh, open your heart and your mind to the possibilities there. Maybe just maybe there's some good news here for you. So moving on to the main subject of this episode, I'll be honest with you, watching Encanto, I really enjoyed it. My whole family really enjoyed it. There were some really, really funny parts. There were some really touching parts, some really sad parts. And I mean sad in like a, hey, you know what? Like that hits close to home. And wouldn't you know it, the whole story has to do with a home that is literally breaking. It's an enchanted home in Kento enchantment. It's an enchanted home that is 
reminiscent of the anthropomorphic furniture in Beauty and the Beast. The home has a mind of its own and is its own person. And the whole family that descends from Abuela, the grandmother, has special powers. If you marry into the family, you don't get special powers, but if you are descended from Abuela, you get some kind of a special power, a superpower, some supernatural gift by virtue of the same enchantment that makes the house self-aware. And there's a backstory wherein some bad men attacked the village that Abuela and her husband and their triplet children lived in. And Abuela's husband is killed. And somehow or another, a miracle happens. And Abuela is protected and her children are protected. And these mountains rise up to provide a kind of fence, a kind of wall. And on the inside of those walls, in the valley, in the midst of these mountains, there's a new village with the people who were fleeing the bad men who destroyed the last village. And Abuela raises her three children, and they all have superpowers once they come of age. And in turn, when they take spouses, or the two daughters anyways, take husbands and have children, those children have superpowers, except for one except Maribel. Maribel does not have a superpower. And yet she knows that something is up. She sees that the house is beginning to crack. It's beginning to come apart. And she's very concerned about this. And she tries to make everyone aware. And Abuela is terrified to admit that yes, in fact, our home, and more to the point, symbolically, our family has some cracks. They come up from the foundation. And if we don't address those, maybe then they just don't exist. We don't talk about it. We don't talk about the problems in our family, in our home. We have a reputation to uphold the community is looking to us. We are well-respected because we have these special powers with which we serve the community. We have a reputation to uphold. I won't have any of this talk about our weaknesses in my house. That's basically Abuela's avoidance defense mechanism when Maribel tries to talk about this, tries to warn everyone. Not only... Is the house cracking, though? No, no. There's also a thorny problem with some of the members of the family who have these superpowers starting to lose their superpowers. And Abuela blames that on Maribel. She's tearing this family apart. She is the trouble. She's the problem. 
And I don't want to give too much away. If you haven't watched it, I would encourage you to watch it. I thought Encanto did a number of things right, which have been more or less longstanding uh, shortcomings with Disney movies. I liked, I liked, (laughs) you're expecting criticism here. I liked seeing intact marriages, mothers and fathers. Now, Abuela's husband is long gone. He was killed by the machete-wielding marauders, raiders, banditos, whatever, who attacked the village at the beginning. But her two daughters got married. They have husbands. Those husbands are involved. And it's an interesting thing. I'm not an expert by any means on Hispanic or Latino, Latina, Latin, I guess you could say. I'm not going to say Latinx. I think it's dumb. Latin X, that's dumb. That's stupid. Polls show, by the way, that most Hispanic people, most Latino, Latina people, Latin people, hate the term Latinx also. It's like, why are you trying to neuter the gendered language inherent to Hispanic culture? You're literally trying to change Spanish so that you can get away from gendered language. That's dumb. Stop it. But I liked the portrayal of Hispanic culture. And I don't know. I'd have to ask some of my friends here in Colorado who that is their native culture. That is where they come from. They can speak to whether this is authentic. I've heard my my wife, I should say, I heard from my wife last night as we were watching that she had read that there is a great deal of attention paid to little things here and there that are typical of Hispanic culture. There's this funny thing that I didn't even know was a thing, actually. Like, this is just to say, it's not my, it's not my culture. I didn't grow up around it. I don't know a whole lot about it. But there's this funny thing that Maribel does where she, like, points with her lips at a gift she wants her younger cousin to open. She points with her lips in this very distinctive way. And I'm like, did she just point with her lips? Yeah, that's a Hispanic thing, I guess. Oh, huh. I've never seen that. I've never seen it in movies or never noticed it. But it was fun. I think I think it's fun. I don't, I'm not on board with... Uh, saying we shouldn't ever culturally appropriate. If I put on a sombrero ever, which I probably won't because I'm not a hat guy, but if I ever put on a sombrero, please don't cancel me. I'm not trying to mock anybody. Uh, Just like if some of my Hispanic friends put on a kilt, that's awesome. That's funny. I'm not offended. I come from Scots-Irish. My wife comes from Scots-Irish. I fine wear a kilt. Uh, I don't wear kilts either. I don't wear kilts like I don't wear sombreros, but for very different reasons. <laughs> I'm not much for skirts, uh, I guess, on me anyway. But alas, I digress. There's this really popular song in in Canto 
And my kids were telling me about this before we watched the movie. It was their request that we watched this movie last night. But there's this very popular song. It's kind of uh, the inheritor, I guess, of the mantle from Frozen a years, years ago, several years back. And Let It Go. Let It Go was all over the radio and all over everybody's playlists. Let It Go. Everybody was singing it. And Encanto's got its own hit song, We Don't Talk About Bruno. Well, my name's Geared Ashley Mullet. I want to talk about everything. So, naturally, you tell me we don't talk about Bruno. I want to talk about Bruno. Let's talk about Bruno. The whole business with Bruno in Encanto is sad and sweet all at the same time. He is a very relatable character for me. And I say that because here's this guy. He's able to see the future. He has these visions. And he predicts what's going to happen before it happens. And so then what happens, you find out, in the song, we don't talk about Bruno, What happens is, as he predicts things, and then they happen, everyone starts to blame him for having made those things happen. The reasoning seems to be, if you wouldn't predict that these things were going to happen, then they wouldn't happen, right? It's a fairly irrational way to think of it, unless we're talking about a self-fulfilling prophecy. Hey, This thing is happening because you're making it happen because we're so fixated on this potential bad outcome that in our efforts to keep it from happening, we actually make it happen. That's a possibility. But I don't think that's where people are coming from. They believe that Bruno is making these bad things actually happen. And he, meanwhile, feels like Well, maybe they're right. You know, if I just stop having visions, maybe bad things will just stop happening. And if I stop sharing, if I stop being around, well, then people won't be asking me to have visions. And I won't be reminding people of the bad things that I said were going to happen. And so here's what happens. Bruno disappears. He goes away. He feels not welcomed. He feels, he feels like he is not supposed to be in the mix. He's a buzzkill. He's a, a party pooper. He's a depressant. He disappears. Nobody knows where he went. But not only do they not know where he went, it would seem they are quite content that he's gone. Which, wouldn't you know it, is most of the reason why he's not around. He could pick up on, didn't need to be a fortune teller to see that they would be content for him to not be there anymore. And so he disappears and nobody knows where he went and they don't talk about it and they don't talk about him. And Maribel, for her part, tracks him down. Because she can kind of relate to that. She wants to talk about Bruno. Because he knew what was up. And maybe 
Maybe, just maybe, he could help her figure out how to stop the house, how to stop this home, how to stop this family from breaking up, falling apart. And wouldn't you know it, she finds him hiding in the walls, which is just a very sad thing. He's hiding in the walls. He's been there all this time, watching from the cracks, from the shadows, never a part of family life, always on the outskirts of family life. Because he's not welcome. He knows he's not welcome. He's a disappointment. He's an embarrassment. He's a disturbance. He kind of reminds me of Avram from Fiddler on the Roof. It's not my fault. I only read it. He's always bringing the newspaper. For those of you who haven't seen Fiddler on the Roof, Avram is always coming up to these groups of men who are standing around talking in the middle of the town with a newspaper, the latest news, sharing it. He'll read the news. And it's always bad news, right? Much like our day. And one of the times he comes up with some of this bad news, he gets interrogated a little bit. Like, why can't you ever bring us good news? (laughs) Surely somewhere there is good news in this world. Can't you find it? And he pleads innocence. It's not my fault. I only read it. (laughs) Don't shoot the messenger. Bruno's a, a little bit like that. He's not trying to rain on everybody's parade. He's trying to help the family. He's trying to help everyone. I think there are a couple of concerning elements in in Canto, and I'll mention them briefly because, again, I said before, I can relate to Bruno. A little bit of that. Why can't you bring us some good news? I'm not going to be very critical of the movie, but I will be a little bit a little bit circumspect here. The interplay between Abuela and Maribel really does feel like the traditional versus modern progressive divide. That generation gap before before uh, Abuela brings her family to this new place where they start over again. She was a fairly carefree, traditional woman. All of the flashback scenes with her and her husband before he was killed. She's very feminine. She's very adoring. <clears throat> you can tell that she's taking leadership and guidance from her husband. Her husband is the man of the house. With him out of the picture, she steps into the role of being the matriarch. And sometimes that happens. What else are you going to do, right? My grandmother was a bit in that position. Grandpa was a disabled World War II veteran. Grandma was the one who had to work outside the home, make ends meet, bring home the bacon, win the bread. 
make the decisions. But Abuela, once her husband is gone, she's raising this family on her own. She obviously makes some mistakes. And she's obviously afraid of losing anyone else. And so she's, I would say, probably a a very typical older generation conservative Hispanic grandmother. She's a typical conservative abuela. But one of her daughters has really turbulent emotions. Literally, the weather reflects her emotions. She gets upset, and all of a sudden, a little storm cloud appears above her head. Lightning flashes, starts raining, whether she's inside or outside. If she got really upset, it might be a hurricane. She has some really severe issues controlling her emotions. Now, she's married to a charming, funny guy who helps her to keep her emotions in check by doting on her, by trying to keep her upbeat and happy. And that's interesting. But one wonders if her gift wouldn't be easier for her to control if her emotions were easier for her to control. And then you've got Bruno. You've got Bruno with a gift that Abuela doesn't want to talk about. She doesn't want any more bad news. This is an embarrassment to the family. Abuela could have handled that situation with her son very differently to where he wouldn't have felt like he needed to live inside the walls on the outskirts, withdrawing from the family completely. She pushes him away because he's not good enough and she's afraid. And so there's a self-fulfilling prophecy for you. She's afraid of breaking the family. And so she does break the family because of how she relates. Now, it would seem to me as though Maribel's mother is the most emotionally stable in the group. Maribel's mother is able to heal with food, which is funny too. I know that's not unique to Hispanic culture, but that is, I think, a little bit of a Hispanic thing, right? Italians too, but mom makes everything all right with her home cooking. Literally, Maribel's mother heals with her food. She makes something, somebody comes with a broken limb or a bee sting or a cut. She feeds them something she made. And all of a sudden, voila, they're healed. That's shown physically, but it's symbolic of using food as a kind of therapy. Eating your stress, maybe, if it gets out of control. Although it doesn't in the movie, so that's nice. And she's just, she's very gentle, and she's very kind, actually, with Maribel. Very encouraging and affirming and supportive with Maribel in a way that Abuela clearly has not been with her children. So that's nice to see. It's nice to see, rather than Disney so often, avoiding having the parents in the picture 
And there's a kind of avoidance there, I think, with regards to Walt Disney. I think he had some issues. I read, what was it, Mark Pinsky's, I think that's the name of the author, The Gospel According to Disney. I think Walt Disney had some issues with his parents, particularly his father. And lo and behold, can you name a Disney film ever where the parents are there and they're engaged and they're involved? Good luck. Well, this one actually was a good example of the parents being there, being engaged, being involved. And hey, you know what? Maybe let's deal with some of these unresolved issues that have been instrumental in conditioning young children for generations in America. Maybe some unresolved mother and father issues that Walt Disney had that came into the kind of content he created. And we've just run with it. Hey, that's what people expect. we got to keep this image up. Maybe Walt Disney was abuela. It's a possibility. But, in any event, Maribel's parents are both engaged. In fact, at a certain point, Maribel, she goes into Bruno's room. She grabs out these shards of a vision that Bruno had had when she was young of the house breaking if you look at the vision one way or the house being put back together if you look at it a different way and Maribel standing in front of the house Maribel doesn't get a gift and the working theory at first is that her not getting a gift is what has broken the house but actually what it is is that it is Abuela's response to Maribel not getting a gift. And not just her response to Maribel not getting a gift, but her response to the whole family, whether they have a gift or they don't. Her way of relating to her family is what is ultimately fracturing the home and undoing the enchantment and the magic. But Maribel is putting these pieces together in her room, which again is symbolic and profound. Her father comes in, sees it. What are you doing? She explains really quickly. She's honest with her father, which is good, right? It's good to see that. They obviously have a somewhat decent relationship if she feels comfortable opening up to both of her parents, her mother and her father, and they listen, and they try to be helpful in their way. Now, her father's response indicates that he is too afraid of Abuela. He is too afraid of Abuela and I would say that's my biggest criticism with Encanto is that the men are too afraid of the women. They are too deferential. Now, he's not so deferential that he handles it the way Abuela would have wanted him to handle it. She rebukes him in front of everybody very harshly at a certain point for that because he was supposed to be protecting the family. You're supposed to protect this family. Da, 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 da. And he fires back. Good for him. I was protecting my daughter. <laughs> That's right. His daughter is his family, first and foremost. And that's good to see, right? That's good to see in a Disney film for a change. Yeah, where is the dad? Where is the husband and father? in the mix. But 
That, I don't want to sound like a condemnation and a criticism so much as props to the creators of Encanto. I think, I think, I think, I think, maybe just maybe, with the success of some movie properties that actually John Favreau has helped to pioneer and show the utility of, we may be seeing a rediscovery of the importance of fathers a moving away from denigrating fatherhood, treating it like it's superfluous at best, or else a liability and nothing more at worst. We may be seeing a course correction. John Favreau, for his part, if you think about it, think about the movies and uh, TV shows he's been so instrumental in bringing to the screen. Iron Man. Iron Man, if you think about it, is a story of a billionaire playboy's broken relationship with his father. Fast forward even to the end of the Iron Man saga, Tony Stark's relationship with Peter Parker is a kind of surrogate fatherhood, and he steps in and is the example and tries to give him some counsel and some advice and some support and some correction. Hey, no, 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 I don't want you doing that. Tony Stark plays father to Peter Parker. And it works. And it's heartbreaking how unusual it is to see that play out. But it's also heartwarming to see it play out. And maybe we get more of it. Elf. Most popular movie around the Christmas time anymore is a John Favreau product. Buddy the Elf has a broken relationship with his father. For another example, look at The Mandalorian. You've got this Star Wars story about a bounty hunter basically adopting this alien baby and trying to provide for it and protect it like a father would. It's a father-son story of sorts. It's an odd one, but it's been engaging because a lot of young people haven't had fathers. haven't had fathers engaged and involved and invested in their lives. And then you come to this Encanto business, And even just a little bit, just a little bit of engagement from fathers goes a long way to making that film more complete. We don't talk about Bruno. You know what? Maybe you don't just not talk about Bruno. Maybe you don't talk about fathers, Walt Disney, broader society. Maybe fathers have not been getting a good treatment in film. And it's not that it only stems from one thing or the other. You can definitely have trends in broader society being expressed in film. The movie makers are saying, well, hey, what are most people familiar with? And that's what we're going to present. But you can also have trends in movie making influencing broader society, influencing our expectations, especially if a lot of kids are raised on 
movies, if they're put in front of the TV and the TV is going to babysit them and that's where they develop their expectations, well, maybe just maybe they don't develop expectations that dad needs to be in the picture and maybe that contributes. And maybe just maybe if you start making films where dad is involved and engaged, maybe that helps to set some good expectations. You can help in this problem of fatherlessness. You can help to change that dynamic. You can't fix it on your own, but maybe you can help to influence it in a positive direction, a more positive direction. But in any event, long story short, I thought that Encanto was a very beautiful film. It was very enjoyable. It was very funny at points. It was very moving at other points. It was very, very thought-provoking. It's not a shallow piece of vapid entertainment. I thought it was very, very good food for thought, uh, great material to have a lot of discussion out of. I, I'll, I'll say this too, real quick. I was amused because all of Lauren's my children, except obviously Andrew, and the two oldest boys had already seen Encanto recently. And they all wanted to see it again. So there you go. But those that had seen it already, they had gone over to the Messer's house. Thank you again to Liz Messer for taking all of our children, except the oldest two who wanted to stay home and enjoy a quiet house, taking all of our children over to your house to hang out here a couple of weeks ago before Andrew was born. They watched Encanto there. And then before we even started the movie last night, all together, my boys especially are like, yeah, just so you know, Dad, like, there's definitely some, like, feminist-type stuff in this. And, you know, that's kind of weird. Like, there's a super, super strong girl, woman, uh, and, like, she kind of looks like a dude, kind of. She's, like, super, super strong, and that's kind of weird. And, yeah, there's just, there's some kind of like women's empowerment feminist stuff in here. And I'm like, okay, well, that's good to know. Glad you keyed in on that. Uh, Not terribly surprised, but uh, definitely still want to watch it anyways. And let's talk through that. Let's explore that, how much of this is good. There's nothing wrong with a strong woman. I think it's great to have a strong woman. I don't believe that you should have domineering women, particularly where the men in their lives are concerned, but really anybody in their lives. But I like that Abuela has to work through her own domineering tendencies, right? I I love, too, there's this one scene. She's standing in the window looking at this candle, that is getting lower and lower. It's a magic candle. It's an enchanted candle. It's the basis for the superpowers that her children and grandchildren have. But she's talking to her husband who's gone. He's been gone for a long time, saying, I need you. I I wish you were here. I wish you were here because I need your advice. I need your counsel. I need your strength. I wish you were here. And I just, I really think that 
is appropriate. I think that's an appropriate thing to throw in there as a way of presenting a more full picture of why this happens sometimes. Sometimes, you know, it's not that her husband didn't want to be there. He was trying to protect their family. He's getting between his wife and his children and some bad men who want to do bad things to them. And he loses his life as a result. He's doing what he should be doing as a husband and a father. And yet, we got to figure out what to do with that, the vacuum that's created when the husband and the father's not there. And ideally, ideally, we appreciate the need for husbands and fathers in the home being engaged, providing that leadership, providing that balance, providing the support and the strength that their families need. So now, now for real, for real this time, I'm going to leave it there. Check it out. Give it a listen. Any of my Hispanic friends who listen to this podcast, let me know if I uh, am right or what you thought of Encanto. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. If you've seen it, if you feel like it's true to form on uh, your culture, where you come from, the family that you grew up in, what you're used to. But as always, thank you for listening. Until next time. God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.